like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Life is made up of choices. In 1918, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series for the fifth time. One of their star players was a young pitcher named George Herman Ruth. The future looked bright. Two years later, in 1920, they chose to sell Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. In 10 out of the next 12 seasons, Ruth hit more home runs than the entire Red Sox team. Since then, the Yankees, who had never won a World Series at that time, have won 26. And the Red Sox didn't win another World Series for 86 years until they beat the Cardinals the year before last. I would say that was a bad choice. In 1938, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel created a comic book character. They then sold all their rights to him for $130. The character's name? Superman. Bad choice. In 1955, Sam Phillips sold his exclusive contract with a young singer to RCA Victor Records for $35,000. As it turned out, he was forfeiting the future royalties on more than a billion records because that young singer was Elvis Presley. Bad choice. Life is made up of choices. In fact, you've already made several today when you Woke up, you decided whether to get out of bed or not. You decided what to have for breakfast. Cocoa Puffs or Fruit Loops. You decided what to wear. Some of you could have used some help. <laughs> you chose how you would get here. You chose where you were going to sit in the auditorium and you are presently deciding whether you're going to listen to me or not. Life is full of choices. Some are insignificant, some carry great weight. Some are minor, some are major. Some are easy, some are hard. Some are cheap, some are costly. Some are everyday decisions, some are life-changing decisions. But ultimately, the outcome of your life is determined by the choices that you make. So let me ask you a question up front. On what basis do you make decisions in your life? You say, well, I just kind of do what I feel like. Well, this morning, we're going to see the example of Moses who made choices on the basis of faith. And we're going to see from his life that faith refuses certain things and chooses certain things. Look at verse 23 with me. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, Moses was born in Egypt. He was born there because years earlier, Joseph had been sold into slavery, had risen to power in Egypt, and had brought the children of Israel there. Joseph and all his generation have now died. And Moses is born. 
And it says this in Exodus 1.7. It says, But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. When Joseph took the children of Israel or brought them down to Egypt, there were just 70 of them. Now they have multiplied and they fill the land. In fact, they are so fruitful and so mighty that the king of Egypt had a problem. The Bible says he was afraid that in the event of war, Israel would side with the enemy, fight against Egypt, and then escape. And so he put taskmasters over Israel to afflict them with hard labor. He had them build storage cities for him. And the Bible says in Exodus 1.12, the more the Egyptians afflicted them, the more Israel multiplied. And so the king went to the Hebrew midwives and he told them, when the Hebrew women give birth, if it's a boy, kill him, and if it's a girl, let her live. You know what happened? The Bible says in Exodus 1.17 that the midwives feared God and did not obey the king. And when he asked them, they said, well, these Hebrew women are vigorous and they give birth before we can get to them. And so if you read the last verse of Exodus chapter 1, the king made the command to all his people, when a Hebrew baby is born, if it's a boy, you throw him into the Nile River. Now that's what you call early methods of family planning. Whenever a baby's born, you check him out. If it's a boy, you just toss him into the Nile River. And it's into that setting that Moses was born to his parents who were named Amram and Jochebed. And if you'll notice verse 23, he's really talking here about the faith of Moses' parents. And what did they do by faith? It says they hid him. And why did they hide him? It says because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now that's not unusual. James just told you he's got four beautiful children. I find that most parents, when they have a baby, think their baby is beautiful. I don't always share that opinion, but that's just me. In fact, when Lindsay was born, she was nine, almost nine pounds, three ounces. She came out with a cone head and a broken collarbone. She was ugly. <laughs> and pe people would come to, the, come to the hospital and they'd say, oh, she looks just like you. <laughs> and we would take offense at that. I love you, Lindsay, wherever you are. She's now beautiful, beyond my anticipation. You know, mo most parents think their babies are beautiful, but I, I think there's more to this than just, hey, that's a pretty baby. We better hide him. Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 20 that Moses was beautiful to God. And so I think somehow God had communicated to this couple that this was a special child, that God had special plans for him. And so by faith, they did not fear the king's command. By faith, they didn't worry about the consequences. They hid Moses for three months. And the Bible tells us when they couldn't hide him any longer, I don't know if it, his lungs got so well developed that he was crying too loud. When they couldn't hide him any longer, they took him and they put him in a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch and put him in the reeds by the Nile River. And who found him? By dumb luck, 
Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. And she opened the basket and the Bible says he began to cry and she felt pity on him. Gets him every time. She went, oh. And Miriam, his sister, was nearby watching and she came running over and before Pharaoh's daughter had time to decide what to do, Miriam said, shall I go get you a woman who can nurse the child? You see, this was before baby bottles. This was before formula. And so she agreed and Miriam went and got her mother, Jochebed, and Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' mother to nurse him. And at some point in time, we're not told when, Moses' mother turned the baby over to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I assume that he was old enough that she was able to convey to him to teach him the promises of God given to Abraham because later in his life it's going to be evident that those were ingrained in Moses. And so he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter and she named him Moses, which literally means drawn out of water. Now we don't know a great deal about Moses' life as he was growing up in the palace in Egypt, but Acts chapter 7 and verse 21 says, Pharaoh's daughter nurtured him as her own son, and Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. He was being groomed to be a leader in Egypt. He had all the perks that come with being a prince. And so he had honor, education, privilege, position. He had it all. And when he was approaching the age of 40, he had a decision to make. Acts chapter 7, verses 23 to 25 indicate that God in some way had conveyed to Moses that he was going to be God's deliverer for the children of Israel. And so he was faced with a choice, a choice that would be life-changing. And he made that choice by faith. And as I said earlier, Moses shows us that we have to refuse certain things and choose certain things by faith. And I want us to notice what those were in Moses' life. What did Moses refuse? You can look at it in your outline. Three things. The first is the world's prestige. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now Moses had position, privilege, royalty, fame, honor, status, prestige. He had all the things that people dream of. He had all the things that people are motivated to get. He had all those things that people climb the social ladder hoping that somehow they're going to attain. He had it all and he gave it up. He refused it. Now, I hope you understand that God has a different set of values than the world. God does not honor the same things that the world honors. You don't get prestige in God's eyes the same way you get prestige in the eyes of the world. In fact, how do you get prestige in the eyes of the world? Well, there are some simple ways you can do it. Number one, you can be born into the right family. If your last name is Bush or your mother's name was Lady Di, 
you automatically get prestige just by your birth. Another way is by riches. People respect wealth. People notice those who have money. I saw in USA Today last week that uh, software mogul David Dufield was trying to build a 72,000 square foot home in Alamo, California. 72,000 square feet. A professional basketball court is about 4,000 feet. I don't know what you do with 72,000 square feet. But when you build a house like that and you walk out the front door, people certainly notice and award you prestige. Another way you can get prestige in the world is by education. If I can say to you that I am Dan Green, MDiv, DD, MD, PhD, ET, you say, whew, boy, that's impressive. That's prestige. And then another way is position. What you do. Now, if you can slam a basketball, you're automatically somebody. If you can hit a 95 mile an hour fastball 450 feet, you're somebody. Really doesn't matter what else you do. You have prestige. What you do, your title, if you're the president or CEO or whatever, if you've got a, a title that says you do something really important, the world says you automatically get prestige. But you know, God's standards are not the same as the world's. In fact, you know who God considered to be greater than all the people in the Old Testament? Jesus said in Luke 1.15, for He will be great in the sight of the Lord. And then He said in Matthew 11.11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, what made John the Baptist great? Was it the family he was born into? Now, I like the way Luke chapter 1 and verse 5 puts it. It says his father was a certain priest. Just one among many. For John the Baptist, was it riches? Well, he didn't have any. He spent his life in the wilderness. He didn't wear designer clothes. He wore camel skins. He, 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 he kind of looked a little bit like Tarzan when he walked out of the wilderness. Was it education? He didn't have any. If you introduced John the Baptist as a speaker, it would be a short introduction because you couldn't talk about his education. He didn't have any. Was it his lofty position? Well, from the world's vantage point, he didn't have any. And he had a strange diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I've eaten some strange thing in my, things in my life, but you know, grasshoppers dipped in honey still doesn't make it any good. From the world's perspective, he had no prestige. He was the son of a simple priest who didn't even rise to the status of his father. But God says he was great. Now, you know what makes him great? Jesus reveals it in Luke 1.15. He says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And then he gives us three reasons. Number one, he was obedient. Number two, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three, he turned many people to God. You want God's checklist for greatness? That's it. Being obedient to what God calls you to do. 
Allowing God by His Spirit to fill you and influencing other peoples by bringing them to Jesus Christ. And so the world's prestige and greatness in the sight of God are for the most part mutually exclusive. And Moses had to choose between the two and he refused the world's prestige. How about you? Is your goal in life to get the world's prestige? Are you listening for the world's applause? Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Moses is a classic example of self-denial. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up the palace. He gave up the status. He gave up the privileges. He refused the world's prestige. And then there's a second thing he refused. And that's the world's pleasure. Verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, notice, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now Moses was in a position where he could have sinned exceedingly. He could have lived it up. He had the resources to do whatever he wanted to do. He could have snapped his fingers and had the most beautiful woman in all of Egypt. He could have snapped his fingers, had any kind of entertainment that he wanted to. Whatever pleasure entered his mind, he had the resources to fulfill that. And the Bible tells us here that he gave it up. He refused it. And I want you to notice what he refused. It says he refused or gave up the enjoyment of the pleasures of sin. Now, some preachers like to tell you that sin is miserable, that sin is sad, that sin is unhappy. And some of you parents like to tell your children that sin is miserable. Well, the truth is that sin is fun for a season. The Bible says sin is fun for a little while. The Bible says here that sin has pleasure but it's passing pleasure. Job 20 in verse 5 says, the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless is momentary. In fact, take your Bible with me and look at Job chapter 21 for just a moment. Job chapter 21. Have you ever looked around and wondered why people who live in sin seem to be having more fun than you do? You ever look around and think, well, those people that are living in sin seem to be even more blessed than I am. Well, Job struggled with that question. I want you to look at his question in Job 21.7. He says, Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God on them. His ox mates without fail. His cow calves and does not abort. Doesn't seem to be having any problems. 
Verse 11, they send forth their little ones like the flock and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and suddenly they go down to Sheol. Oh, they're skipping about. They're having so much fun. They're enjoying the pleasures of sin and suddenly it's over and they go down to Sheol. James in James 5.5 5 says, You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now that's a vivid picture. In that day when they were going to slaughter a, a, a calf or or a sheep, they would take it out of the field where it was eating wild onions, they would put it in the barn, they would give it real good grain, lots of it, and let it just eat so it would get fat and get all that wild onion out of its system, and then they would slaughter the animal. Now put yourself in the hooves of a calf. He's out eating, you know, alfalfa and whatever he can find out in the field and all of a sudden they bring him in the barn and they're giving him grain more than he's ever had in his life and he's stuffing himself and he's getting fatter and fatter and he's thinking to himself you know it doesn't get any better than this and meanwhile when the camera pans out we see that outside the barn is the butcher and he's sharpening his knife that's the picture of the person who lives for pleasure in this world James says they're just fattening their heart for a day of slaughter. I'll bet David had fun with Bathsheba for a little while. Until later he faced the guilt and he said in Psalm 51, my sin is ever before me. Sin is fun for a season. Sin is pleasure for a little while. Is that what you want? Will you sell your soul for momentary pleasure? Will you sell your soul for passing pleasure? Or do you want pleasure that lasts? You know what the Bible says in Psalm 1611? It says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Moses knew that. He could have stayed in the palace. He could have enjoyed the passing pleasures of sin, but he gave it up. He refused it by faith. How about you? Moses refused the world's prestige. He refused the world's pleasure. Thirdly, he refused the world's plenty. Notice verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses was rich. He was wealthy. And he would eventually become even more wealthy as he rose in power in Egypt. And Egypt was loaded. Have you ever seen the, the, the splendor of those things that were found in King Tut's tomb? Those are the treasures of Egypt. And Moses had them, but he gave them up. He refused them. He refused the world's plenty. 
How about you? Are your goals in life centered around money? You know, 1 Timothy 6.9 says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's not wrong to be rich, but it's wrong to have riches as my goal. And it's wrong to love money. And the man of faith is willing to give it up. Moses had it all and he would soon have even more, but he gave it up. He refused the world's plenty. And so we see Moses as an example of a man of faith who refused certain things. He refused the world's prestige, the world's pleasure, and the world's plenty. And then on the other side of that, he chose some things. Now what did Moses choose? Well, four things. First of all, he chose the people of God. Notice verse 25. It says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, you have to understand that, that, that Moses, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, ran in the elite circles of Egyptian society. He knew everybody who was anybody because everybody who was anybody in all of Egypt came to Pharaoh's palace and Moses was there. If he wanted to, he ate every day at the king's table. When Moses went down the street, I don't know if he was on one of those things that the guy, guys carry on their shoulders with the, you know, the drapes and he's going along. He was treated like royalty. He would go down the street and people would point and look at Moses as if he was a celebrity. And he gave up that status to identify himself with a bunch of lowly slaves. And they weren't very pleasant to be around. He spent 40 years with these people and the Bible tells us all they did was grumble and complain and rebel. Why did Moses spend that time with them? Why did Moses identify with them? Because they were the people of God. You know, sometimes as a Christian, we say, well, you know, there are cooler people. I, nothing personal, but there are cooler people than Christians. You say, well, I, I want to hang out with cool people because they can be cool. And sometimes Christians aren't everything. You know, some of us live by that bumper sticker that says Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. And, and, and we have our flaws and we have our faults and we have our struggles getting along. And sometimes we disappoint each other as believers, and yet Moses made the decision that he didn't want to be with the, quote, cool people. He chose to be with the people who were down and out. At that time, they were slaves because they were the people of God. And then the second choice he made was the persecution of God. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, when I say the persecution of God, I'm not talking about the persecution God is putting on us. I'm talking about the persecution that the world is putting on Him. has an interesting phrase here in verse 26. It says, He considered the reproach of Christ. Now, Christ hadn't even come yet. 
But Moses was experiencing the reproach of Christ before he ever came. He was identifying himself with the people of God who would receive the Redeemer of God, and he was already experiencing the persecution that was coming because of Jesus Christ. We are now in a position after the cross, and the question for us today is, are you willing to take the reproach of Christ? Do you take a stand at school? Do you name the name of Christ even in places where it isn't popular? Do you choose to suffer affliction with the people of God? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you choose to bear the reproach of Christ? Later on in Hebrews 13.13, the writer is going to say to us, so let us go out to Him outside the camp bearing His reproach. That's what it costs. I love the attitude of the apostles in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. After they were beaten and told to never speak again in Jesus' name, it says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for His name. You see, we need to understand that the, the reproach we receive when we take a stand for Christ is not directed at us personally. It's directed at Him. The world crucified Him when He was here and they're still trying to get at Him. And because they can't reach Him in heaven, who do they go after? They go after us. And who are we? We are the body of Christ. That's true today of us after the cross. It was true of Moses even before the cross. So he refused the world's prestige, the world's pleasure, and the world's plenty. He chose ill treatment with the people of God and the reproach of Christ. You say, well, how could he make those kind of choices? Well, notice the third choice. It helps explain it. He also chose the promise of God. Look at verse 26 again. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That word considering mean, means to weigh. And so the idea is that he, he kind of took out a big scale. And he put the world's prestige and the world's pleasure and the world's plenty on this side. And then on the other side, he put affliction with the people of God and the reproach of Christ. Now at that point, which one weighed more? Say the world was weighing pretty good in that perspective, but then he added to this side what? The reward of God. And that made all the difference. You see, Moses could give up the temporal because he was looking to the eternal. Paul said it this way in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Moses was looking to the reward. Now Moses wasn't looking for an earthly reward. In fact, if you want to look at it from an earthly vantage point, his earthly reward for giving up the treasures of Egypt was to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 
He was not looking for an earthly reward. He was looking for what Hebrews 11.16 calls a better country that is a heavenly one. In fact, did you realize that when Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Jesus, it was the very first time he ever set foot in the promised land. And I have a hunch he was thinking, you know, this is all right, but can we go back to heaven? So you couldn't have convinced him at that point in time that the treasures in Egypt amounted to anything. He had already chosen God's promise. He had already chosen God's reward. And then the fourth thing that he chose was God's person. And that's real simple in verse 27. And we're going to look at it again next time. But look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, notice, as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, not only did he see the reward, but he saw the rewarder. He was not intimidated by the earthly king because he saw the king of kings. He could give up the temporal, prestige, pleasure, plenty, and he wasn't intimidated by the physical, the king, because he was looking to the eternal and he saw the invisible by faith. Life is made up of choices. And each of us faces a decision similar to that of Moses. We have to choose between the things of the world or the things of God. And the person of faith, like Moses, refuses the world's prestige, the world's pleasure, and the world's plenty, and chooses affliction with the people of God and the reproach of Christ. And that can only be done by faith as I look to the eternal reward and as I see the invisible God. Life is made up of choices. On what basis are you making yours? My prayer today is that we might be people who refuse and choose by faith. I'm going to have the praise team come back and we're going to close out our service by singing our praises 